Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman. Why do I love Walt Whitman, the American poet of the late 19th century? It's a tricky one. I love his supreme confidence. He's like a sort of a laid-back prophet. I don't know if you're familiar with the prophets in the Bible, but they tend to be fairly proactive, fairly dominant figures. Whitman seems to have all the know-how, but he's, he's easy with it. He's reclining in his wisdom, in his sagacity. He's a sort of a super poet as well. When I say him, I mean the voice of his poems is this. It's sort of like a prophet, like a visionary, like a super poet, but also like an ordinary working class bloke. You know that pub philosopher that people always talk about? Oh, the pub philosopher, the bloke in the corner of the pub with his words of wisdom, which are usually just banal truisms. But imagine if there was a genuine genius just in, like, overalls sitting in the corner of the pub. It would be Whitman. Okay, I want to give you an example of his confidence by reading to you a short, just a stanza, from a poem of his called Poets to Come, in which he addresses future poets who he sees very much, again, very confidently, as his legacy. Poets to come. There's an exclamation mark there, by the way. There's quite a lot of exclamation marks in Whitman because he exclaims happily and with gusto. Poets to come, orators, singers, musicians to come. Not today is to justify me and answer what I am for. But you, a new brood, native, athletic, continental, greater than before known, arouse, for you must justify me. Okay, so that's his message to future poets. He sees them very much in his tradition led by him, the great poetic pioneer. And he'll create a new brood, which native, because I think he's thinking particularly of America. He addresses America quite often, directly. He addresses the world also, quite happily, as if he has some enormous pulpit in the clouds, Whitman. I think he has. I do think he has. So native athletic, Uh, I'll come back to athletic, continental. So I think speaking of the continent of America, that rather than influenced by the continent of Europe, which is how we tend to think of continental, I think he's not keen on that. Greater than before known. Arouse exclamation mark for you must justify me. So I think he's saying, look, I'm a bit ahead of my time. I'll be straight with you. It's going to be down to you guys to explain how amazing I was. I mentioned that they will be athletic, this brood of new poets, these poets to come. He's very keen on the physical as well. Although he's quite cosmic, Walt Whitman, 
he does talk quite a lot about the body and the body beautiful, particularly male bodies. He actually wrote a 13-part series called Manly Training for an American magazine in which he praises things like naked sunbathing and cold baths, getting up super early in the morning. And comfortable shoes was one of the things he thought was essential to a good and healthy life. As you can tell, I like his sort of strangeness as well. I'm a tremendous fan of strangeness in all its manifestations. I'm going to read a poem called, it's had a few titles, but To You is the title I've chosen. And there's a reason I've chosen that. In a way, Whitman certainly the way he sees himself, is the great Democrat. So I thought in order to make this podcast particularly accessible, I would, and I'm reaching for it now in that clutter, I would read a poem from a Penguin Little Black classic, which are tiny books which retail at 80 pence each. And there is one called On the Beach at Night Alone, which is poetry of Walt Whitman. And it's really good. There's some fabulous stuff in it. Lots of poems from Whitman's epic collection, Leaves of Grass. Now, Leaves of Grass, very quickly, he sort of wrote that, Whitman, that collection. He wrote it for the whole second part of the 19th century. It's a brilliant... If there's anyone out there listening to this who self-publishes or has thought of self-publishing and thinks, oh, is that a bit of a... Oh, not sure. This is what Whitman did. He paid for the publishing of um, Leaves of Grass. And instead of writing new collections of poetry, he just kept adding and tweaking this one collection. That was his main thing. A bit like, I don't know if you know the stand-up comedian Ken Dodd, who sadly is no longer with us, but he constantly added jokes to his stage act till it became this enormous, like a five-hour expression of his inner world. And that's what happened with Leaves of Grass. I think the first edition was 1855, don't quote me on that. That was 12 poems and the last edition, known affectionately as the Deathbed edition, was about 400 poems. So, yeah, Leaves of Grass is where you want to go to read Whitman, and that's the poem I'm reading, although it's from this little book called On the Beach at Night Alone. It is from Leaves of Grass. Leaves of Grass, when it was published originally, didn't have Walt Whitman's name on it, it just, um, he was asked why he hadn't put his name on it later, and he said, how do you put a name on the universe? Like I say, not um, stifled by modesty, Walt. And instead of his name, there is a picture of him. I guess it would be an etching in the mid-19th century. And he looks great on it. He's got like hat at a jaunty angle, Small beard at that point, although it, it will blossom and grow over time. And sort of um, open neck shirt, a little bit of vest showing, and he's just hands in pockets. Man, he looks fabulous. And like a, a, a sort of smart working class bloke, I mean smart brain-wise rather than clothing-wise. I am going to read the poem 
in a mini. Um, I gave you a little bit of poetry already. I just want to say that Whitman almost exclusively writes in a form known as free verse. Free verse is sort of essentially poetry with no real meter. So the rhythms of it are often irregular. That doesn't mean that there isn't a form to Whitman. You know, we talk in these podcasts about content and form. The content, if you like, is the meaning of the poem. And the form is how that meaning is expressed. All the wonderful music and cleverness and rhythms and beats and rhymes of poetry. It, you know, that, I find that as fascinating as the meaning often. And I think a, a poetry podcast, which was just about meaning and not about form, would be for fools. OK, so he doesn't use meter and rhyme, etc. very often. He does write free verse, but he, it has a fabulous biblical feel to it. And so it's sort of less poetic than oratorical. He sounds like the best preacher you've ever heard in your life. And he, he does that biblical thing of lots of lists and repeated structures, repeated phrases over, over, over. I'm going to read the poem I want to read to you and all this should fall into place. I'm sorry if I've talked too long at the front. I know I'm not supposed to do that. But I'm really into Whitman. I, to be honest, I like him perhaps more than I know about him, if you know what I mean. It, he's, I, I'm loving him from the heart more than from the head. OK, this is a poem called To You by Walt Whitman. Here's the first chunk, as I like to say. Whoever you are, I fear you are walking the walks of dreams. I fear these supposed realities are to melt from under your feet and hands. Here comes the lists. Even now your features, joys, speech, house, trade, manners, troubles, follies, costume, crimes, dissipate away from you. They disperse and fall away. Your true soul and body appear before me. They stand forth out of affairs, out of commerce, shops, work, farms, clothes, the house, buying, selling, eating, drinking, suffering, dying. Whoever you are, now I place my hand upon you that you be my poem. I whisper with my lips close to your ear. I have loved many women and men, but I love none better than you. Okay, so an incredibly direct address to the reader. Absolute, there's a pointing finger which seems to come out of the page of this poem. To you, the title, whoever you are. Okay, that at first that that I'm I'm flattered by the to you, and then he sort of takes it away from me. Whoever you are, suddenly I've become one of the 
masses. He says, I fear you are walking the walks of dreams. I fear these supposed realities are to melt from under your feet and hands. He sounds like one of those slightly crazed street preachers you get who hold up sandwich boards with the end is nigh on them used to be the cliché. He sounds like one of them who suddenly stopped you in the street like the ancient mariner. And then into the lists. And the lists, I think, are lists of you, of our... Because once I read this poem, it's about me. And when you listen to it or read it, it's about you. This is our poem as individuals as well as, as a group of readers. And he's talking about how our distinguishing features are just slipping away in front of his gaze, his super poet X-ray vision. Even now your features, joys, speech, house, trade, manners, troubles, follies, costume, crimes dissipate away from you. They just slip away. So I see through all of that because I'm the super poet. And then this killer line, your true soul and body appear before me. Whoa. So he's looking through all our fakery, all the things we hide behind. And then he gives us another, another bunch of that. They stand forth. So these these things that he can see, our soul and our body in all its clarity and truth, sort of stand forth. They sort of step out of the fiction and into his bright light. They stand forth out of affairs, out of commerce, shops, work, farms, clothes, the house, buying, selling, eating, drinking, suffering, dying, all the stuff of life. He can see through that. It's quite an opening, I think, and very arresting, and like I say, such a direct address. The whoever you are begins by sort of making you feel a bit anonymous, but then he makes you feel quite special as he strips away all the things that conceal your your inner being. And he repeats it, whoever you are. He loves repetition, as I say. I think there are three whoever you are in this poem. Whoever you are, this is another killer line. Whoever you are, now I place my hand upon you that you be my poem. I'm making you the individual reader. When I read it, as I say, when you read it, we are the poem. This is a poem about me. And when you read it, it's a poem about you. One size fits all. And suddenly he's like a slightly scary bloke at a party. I whisper with my lips close to your ear. I have loved many women and men, but I love none better than you. It's very, uh, I feel like I'm being seduced here. How special I must be that he's loved all these men and women, but none better than me. I think underlying that, of course, is the reason he's loved none better than me is that he loves everyone. He sees the specialness in everybody but at the moment it feels like he's in my ear and I'm liking it okay next chunk oh I have been dilatory 
and dom. Dilatory, by the way, just means like I've wasted my time. Oh, I've been dilatory and dom. I should have made my way straight to you long ago. I should have blabbed nothing but you. I should have chanted nothing but you. I will leave all and come and make the hymns of you. None has understood you, but I understand you. None has done justice to you. You have not done justice to yourself. None but has found you imperfect. I only find no imperfection in you. None but would subordinate you. I only am he who will never consent to subordinate you. I only am he who places over you no master, owner, better, God, beyond what waits intrinsically in yourself. It's a big chunk, I know, but so... Oh, man, I, it's great. You should, you should try reading this out loud when you get your 80 pence book because it's good to say. It feels good on the lips. I have been dilatory and dom. So, like I say, he's sort of avoiding the standard poetic forms, but he doesn't mind throwing in a little bit of alliteration. Dilatory and dom. I should have made my way straight to you long ago. I should have blabbed nothing but you. Now, that seems to be a quite dismissive description of his poetry. I should have blabbed nothing but you. But it's very Whitman in that he's still in the midst of this poem where he is this all-seeing super poet. He's still able to throw it away. He's still pretty cash. He's still pretty barroom philosopher. I should have uh, blabbed nothing but you. I should have chanted nothing but you. And that's an interesting combo there. I should have blabbed nothing but you is quite dismissive and jokey. I should have chanted nothing but you suggests a sort of religious importance to the poetry. So he's always got these two things going on. I'm laid back. But yes, I am a prophet also. Here comes another killer line. I will leave all and come and make the hymns of you. Hymns, obviously, H-Y-M-N-S, as in holy songs. So I should have made my way straight to you long ago. He's still talking to me, but he's also talking to you and to everyone else who reads this. And I think what he means is I should have gone to the individual. I should have gone to the soul of the individual before I should have reached deep into each of my readers before. But now here I am. I will leave all and come and make the hymns of you. And again, that sounds very flattering. I read that and I think, oh, wow, he's just going to do hymns of me now. But, of course, he won't leave all because the you, as in I'll come and make the hymns of you, is every reader of this poem. So that they are all, but he's able to make the all individual as well. I know every poet, every poem speaks to the individual reader, but generally speaking, not quite as hand on the shoulder, lips against the ear as Whitman 
does here. And then this sort of biblical repeated structure, none has understood you, but I understand you. None has done justice to you. You have not done justice to yourself. And then even though he's sort of praising me when I read this, none but has found you imperfect. So there's no one who hasn't found you imperfect. There's no one who wouldn't subordinate you. None but has found you imperfect. I only find no imperfection in you. So he's, he's telling me that he sees no imperfection in me. But of course, I only, it takes the super poet's vision to see that. So in praising me, he also praises himself. I'm fine with that. None but would subordinate you. I only am he who will never consent to subordinate you. And then this last, I only am he who places over you no master, owner, better, God. None of those. I don't put any of those above you. I don't put anything above you beyond what waits intrinsically in yourself. What waits intrinsically in yourself. And there's another poem in this same little book called Song of the Universal, in which he talks about a seed of perfection in everyone which gradually grows and continues to grow. And he talks, he uses the term a mystic evolution. He's writing in the late 19th century when there's a lot of discussion about the sort of scientific evolution, but he's talking about a mystic evolution in which we develop spiritually. So when he said what waits intrinsically in yourself is this specialness that you've hidden away with all those things that he uh, listed before, you've buried it in joy, speech, house, trade, manners, troubles, follies, etc., Listen to this. This first bit is about religious painting. Painters have painted their swarming groups and the centre figure of all. From the head of the centre figure spreading a nimbus of gold-coloured light. But I paint myriads of heads, but paint no head without its nimbus of gold-coloured light. From my hand, from the brain of every man and woman, it streams, effulgently flowing forever. And those Fs at the end sound like flowing, effulgently flowing forever. So he's talking about religious paintings and the fact that the centre figure of all amidst the swarming groups is a great term, so God or Jesus, whoever that central religious figure is, always has the halo, a nimbus of gold-coloured light. But with him, he paints myriads of heads. He wants everybody in it. This is Whitman's democracy. And he says he will paint no head without its nimbus of gold-coloured light. From my hand, from the brain of every man and woman, it's Dreams effulgently flowing forever. So I think everyone is at the centre. That's why I can say this poem is to you, because you are as important as every other you out there. 
Right, I'm going to move along a bit because I know I do go on. The next bit is a slight reprimand, I would say, to me or to you or to whoever the reader is. Oh, I could sing such grandeurs and glories about you. You have not known what you are. You have slumbered upon yourself all your life. Your eyelids have been the same as closed most of the time. What you have done returns already in mockeries. And then he goes into brackets for this bit. Your thrift, knowledge, prayers. If they do not return in mockeries, what is their return? Suddenly it turned on me a bit now, Walt, or the speaker. Oh, I could sing such grandeurs and glories about you. I'm loving it. I'm loving it now. You have not known what you are. You have slumbered upon yourself all your life. Slumbered upon yourself. I love that. Like when someone falls asleep on your shoulder on a train or a plane. But we've fallen asleep on our own shoulder. Your eyelids have been the same as closed most of the time. Most poets would have written closed, wouldn't they? But the same as closed... It's got a feeling of, I know they weren't closed, but they were closed. And this final real punch in the stomach, what you have done returns already in mockeries. Your thrift, knowledge, prayers. So your thrift, your attempt to sort of lead an ordered life, not being overindulgent, not being over-effusive, your thrift, knowledge, so learning, you want to find out about things, and your prayers, even your prayers, if they do not return in mockeries, what is their return? So none of them have done you any good at all. Wow, I feel awful, but he's going to help me out. The mockeries are not you. Underneath them and within them, I see you lurk. I pursue you where none else has pursued you. So again, it's super poet X-ray vision. Forget about prayer and trying to order your life and reading books and all that. What I'm saying to you is I can see the real you. It's there and it's beautiful. And then he does, because he can't resist a list, he then gives us the, the things that he can see through that fool others. Silence, the desk, the flippant expression, the night, the accustomed routine. If these conceal you from others or from yourself, they do not conceal you from me. The shaved face, the unsteady eye, the impure complexion. If these bulk others, they do not bulk me. The pert apparel, the deformed attitude, drunkenness, greed, premature death. All these I part aside. So it's Whitman's bright light again. And some of these examples, the desk as a thing that we hide behind. I I really like that. It's a feeling of work and some sort of man-made importance. He can see through all these. The shaved face, beards was one of the things he uh, recommended in manly training. And he's, as I say, grew exponentially as his reputation did. Okay, he's going to be nice to me. 
again. He can Now he's going to see my glory again. There is no endowment in man or woman that is not tallied in you. So not matched in me, if you like. There is no endowment in man or woman that is not tallied in you. There is no virtue, no beauty in man or woman, but as good is in you. No pluck, no endurance in others, but as good is in you. No pleasure waiting for others, but an equal pleasure waits for you. As for me, I give nothing to anyone except I give the like carefully to you. I sing the songs of the glory of none, not God, sooner than I sing the songs of the glory of you. And again, we feel special here. Wow, listen to what he's saying about me. But of course, he's saying it about everyone, everyone there. As for me, I give nothing to anyone except I give the like carefully to you so we're all getting the same from Whitman but we all feel like it's especially for us it's a real skill I think you hear people talk about their favorite singers and say oh man when they uh, sing at the O2 in front of 20,000 people and I'm there in row Z it feels like they're talking directly to me and uh, Whitman seems to have a similar skill Having said that, one of the uplifting things about this poem is its statement of equality. We're all special. We all qualify for that golden halo. I strip away the superficial differences and see everyone's glory. We're nearly there. Whoever you are, that's the third one. Whoever you are, claim your own at any hazard. That's another great line, isn't it? No matter how scary it is, be yourself. Claim your own at any hazard. Be you. I know it sounds a bit self-help, but when Whitman says it, I find it exhilarating. These shows, he's going to compare us now to America. Just, you know, just to big us up. Actually, it's me. I'm not feeling the us, I'm feeling the me. These shows of the East and West are tame compared to you. These immense meadows, these interminable rivers, you are immense and interminable as they. These furies, elements, storms, motions of nature, throes of apparent dissolution, you are he or she who is master or mistress over them, master or mistress in your own right over nature, elements, pain, passion, dissolution. Okay, so whoever you are again, claim your own at any hazard. I love that. These shows of the East and West. So he's now... He often raves about the glories of America and here he's comparing immense meadows and interminable rivers to me and saying I'm just as immense and interminable. These furious element storms, and I think here he starts to mingle nature's furious element storms with our personal furious elements and storms. These furious elements, storms, motions of nature, throes of apparent dissolution, that sort of corruption, if you like. 
you are he or she who is master or mistress over them, master or mistress in your own right over nature, elements, pain, passion, dissolution. I think that's your own nature, elements, pain, passion, dissolution he's talking about at the end there. It's lovely, you know, to read something from the 19th century where you don't have to apologise for non-inclusive language. And the fact that he says you are he or she who is master or mistress over them says a lot about Whitman and his world view. Manly training or no manly training. I think that whoever you are at the beginning of that always hurts me when I read it, because I I know we started off with whoever you are, but by now I feel the finger, he's, he's been whispering in my ear and really feels like he knows me so well. I really think like it's just me now. I'm that mistress who I think he's going to leave his wife for. And when he says whoever you are at this late stage of the poem, I it's suddenly shockingly impersonal. But Whitman, for all his blabbing about my specialness, wants me to be aware of and to acknowledge that specialness in everyone else. Cosmic democracy. That is Whitman's thing. There is just a few lines, four lines left, and then I'm going to release you to read the whole of Walt Whitman on the beach at night alone. 80 pence. Come on. Here we go. The hopples fall from your ankle. I'm going to tell you straight off that hopples, you probably guess they're like fetters, shackles. The hopples fall from your ankles. You find an unfailing sufficiency. Old or young, male or female, rude, low, rejected by the rest. Whatever you are promulges itself. Through birth, life, death, burial, the means are provided. Nothing is scanted. Through angers, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui, what you are picks its way. Okay, briefly. The hopples fall from your ankles, so you are freed, you are enslaved. You find an unfailing sufficiency, a sort of self-sufficiency that was always there, but you just couldn't see it because you don't have the super poet x-ray vision. Old or young, male or female, rude, low, rejected by the rest. Whatever you are promulges itself. And this is the same root as promulgate. It makes itself known. No more hiding. So whatever you are promulges itself. Everything is, is going. That Even the desk, even the desk, you're really now showing yourself, not just to the world, but to yourself. Through birth, life, death, burial, the means are provided. Nothing is scanted, so nothing is withheld. Everyone can do this. Everyone can become aware and focus on that seed of perfection, as he called it in uh, the Song of the Universal poem I mentioned earlier, that sort of pure gold that we all carry within us. It's just that we need a visionary poet to tell us. And the last line, through angers, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui, what you are picks its way. Now, I find it, that last line, I once watched a 
a programme about Wagner, the composer, obviously. And the person who presented it said that one thing that Wagner does is incompleteness. He's a big fan of leaving you hanging. So instead of, and I'll just make this music up, instead of music going, dun, 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 with Wagner it goes, dun, dun, dun. And you think, oh, not quite finished, not quite finished. That left me a bit feeling a bit strange, a bit cast out without anything to hold on to. And I think this poem ends a bit like that. Through anger, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui, what you are picks its way. And before, he's just told us, you know, that he's told me, you are immense and interminable, and now I'm picking my way? It just feels like it ends on a minor chord rather than a, uh, than a major chord. It's a bit like that line from the big Lebowski when someone asks the Jeff Bridges character how he is and he says, the dude abides. In other words, I just, you know, I carry on. And I was hoping for more than that at the end. I think it's almost, I think, at the end saying through angers, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui. Ennui, obviously, is boredom. Through angers, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui, what you are picks its way. I think the message to me is, if I could get rid of angers, losses, ambition, ignorance, ennui, I wouldn't have to pick the way. I need to clear the way for myself. I need to get the fake me that I've adopted to exist in the world out of the way so the real me can march forward rather than pick its way. That is what I think about this poem. I can't do a Walt Whitman poetry podcast without reading just a few lines from what is perhaps his greatest poem, Song of Myself, which, of course, is from Leaves of Grass. Everything seems to be. And I think this is... this. What about if I said this to you as a sort of a trailer, a sort of publicity trailer for Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast? Have you practised so long to learn to read... Have you felt so proud to get at the meaning of poems? Stop this day and night with me and you shall possess the origin of all poems. You shall no longer take things at second or third hand, nor look through the eyes of the dead, nor feed on the spectres in books. You shall not look through my eyes either, nor take things from me. You shall listen to all sides and filter them from yourself. Okay, I'll I'll get my coat. Thank you for listening to my poetry podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can never miss an episode. Imagine that. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. Uh, Less poetic, probably funnier. See you next time.